Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, and let me tell you what's going on right now about Isaiah, you know, this, this particular period of time, because it's going to help us to understand why this is good news. A little bit of history. Uh, they are in a time, this is, this is during a time that things are really, really bad, you know? Things are, things are really, really bad. Backing up a little bit, you know, Israel, the, for a while there had been two kingdoms. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And, and over a hundred years before this, Israel had been taken away into captivity. They never came back from that. But during that intervening time, Judah still existed, and its capital was Jerusalem. The temple was there. They worshiped there. They, it was kind of like the, the epicenter of their faith and life and politics, and government, everything was there in Jerusalem, so it was a big deal. And, and during this time, they, um, they, they were slipping away from God. They were starting to rebel against Him. It had been going on a while. They were committing the sin of idolatry, which was a terrible thing, of course, and God sent them preachers, sent them people like Isaiah and others, and tried to tell them, you, you need to stop this or God's going to send an oppressor, you know, and they didn't listen. And so finally God raised up Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and absolutely leveled the city, raised it. It was, the walls were torn down, the temple was torn down, they, they took the holy vessels out of the temple and took them down to Babylon. They took a lot of the youngest and brightest and those were the most potential people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took, they took them away into captivity. It took a lot of the people, but, but a lot of people stayed there. And, and this is why this matters. <clears throat> a lot of people stayed there. And you can imagine maybe what, what it would have been like. I mean, things were bad. Their city was gone. The temple was gone. Uh, many, many of their loved ones had been taken away. Their, their houses, their buildings, uh, lay in ruins, the walls were destroyed, and that was, he had no protection. Their king was taken away and killed. They had absolutely nothing, no autonomy. They were living under the thumb of Babylon and the wicked king of Nebuchadnezzar. It was just a terrible, terrible situation. So try, as best we can, living a long time away from that, let's try to put ourselves in that situation for just a minute and think about how that would have been. We are in the middle, as, as we brought up many times. We're the, maybe you get tired of hearing about it. We're in the middle of times that are testing our country, that are testing the church, that are probably bringing added stress in your life, my life, our collective life as a body. And, and, and we, can, we can feel that pressure and we look around us and we see sometimes this, the, you know, the angst and the anxiety and the uncertainty about the future and, and all this. And so in the middle of election year and pandemic and racial unrest, I mean, you, 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 name, you name these things that are, that are testing us now. So maybe, in a sense, we can kind of relate to this, though imagine what it would have been like then when you've got all these, others, all these things going on and you have no hope of a future as an autonomous nation. That was very important to them. Okay, so that's the stage. Now, whatever remained of Jerusalem, they had some watchmen who would watch. They didn't have walls at this time, but they had watchmen... And Isaiah paints this scene. Imagine this. Imagine that you've got a runner. The watchman looking to the distance. Jerusalem was at the top of a mountain, surrounded by mountains. It's a very, you know, hilly part of the world. And, um, and, and they look and they see a runner coming in the distance. And they, 
He's, he's getting closer and closer and closer, and there's this great sense of anticipation. I wonder what kind of message he's going to bring. We don't have any hope. I mean, we don't have a future. The world around us is, is, lies in devastation, and, and what's he going to say? Is he going to bring us good news? Is, is it going to be more bad news? We've had a lot of that lately. They may have been thinking, we don't need any bad news, you know? Our text, that's the context, okay? And what Kyle read for us a minute ago starts with these words. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him. So, so the runner's coming. The, the purpose of the runner was to bring news of some sort. And, and Isaiah paints this picture and he says, imagine this scene. The runner is coming. Oh, and his feet are beautiful because they're bringing him closer. And this is what he brings us. He brings us good news. He brings us good news. There's, it's about peace. He's bringing us good news of happiness who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I want to I back up for a minute and talk about a couple of words. Good news uh, is the word, what the word gospel means, but I want to give you a couple of, couple of words, uh, a couple from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, just so we understand a little bit of the context here and how this word is used. So, couple of Hebrew words here, and they are beser and besorah, that is a verb and a noun. And, and they, you see the root words there, the root letters there, in Hebrew it's organized around the consonants, and the vowels, they didn't even have letters for vowels, it just had these little dots and things that make, make vowels. But, so you see B-S-R in those words, B-S-R, that's the, that's the way words are connected. And uh, so anyway... Let me give you a couple of passages where these words are used. I just want to show you a very important thing, and it'll, it'll tie, I'll tie it in in just a minute. But back in 2 Samuel 18, you may remember this, but David's kingdom had been temporarily wrested away from him. His son Absalom had won the hearts of the people and had taken over David's palace, and uh, David was kind of exiled for a while, and there was battle between David's people and Absalom's people. So it's a, a time of civil strife, a time of unrest. David is anxious because his own son has rebelled against him. He doesn't know if the kingdom's going to be permanently taken away from him. So it's a time of great angst in David's heart. Now in 2 Samuel 18, there's a runner now notice the parallels here. There's a runner who comes to David. He's called the Cushite. And behold, the Cushite came. And the Cushite said, Be there for my lord the king. Of course, the English translation says, The Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. See, the word be and Besorah, these Hebrew words, the root idea means good news, but it's a certain kind of good news. It's a good news associated with who is reigning, who is on the throne. And so David was anxiously awaiting news, and the news was going to have to do with, is David going to be the king, or is Absalom going to win? And the Cushite, the runner, these beautiful feet of the Cushite came to David, and the runner said, I got good news for you. Your enemies have been defeated. And the implication is, David is going to reign as king. So that's one example. Let me give you another example. One more. From 1 Kings 1. This is after David has died. So he's the king. When a king dies, 
especially in that time, there was always some uncertainty about who's going to reign. Usually there were some, some different factions who were trying to get the position of king. And so Solomon is waiting. Solomon, you and I might know, he, he's... He, he does become the next king, but there was some uncertainty after David died. Solomon is awaiting word. He's, he's wanting to know. He's wanting to hear the news. And so the runner comes to him. While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. And Adonai just said, come in, for you are a worthy man, and you bring Besorah. You bring good news. What was the good news? If you go on and read in the context there, the good news was David has appointed you, he appointed you before he died, to be the next king. All I want you to know from that, or a little word study, is that the words in the Old Testament translated good news, the word in our text in Isaiah 52 and other places, have to do with a certain kind of good news. And that good news is the one on the throne is the right one. David, it's going to be you. Solomon, it's going to be you. It's good news about who's on the throne. Now, let me go to the New Testament just for a word, just for a minute and talk about the word there. You see the word there, and uh, it's euangelion is, is the word here. You see right in the middle of it the word angel, A-N-G-E-L. It's right, right in the center of it. And uh, you, you may know, you know like, what, what is an angel? An angel in the Bible is a messenger. That's, that's what the word means. Uh, it's, one, it's a message, a messenger. And then the front part of that, the prefix E-U, means good. So you can kind of see in the I-O-N on the end of it, it's like, tells you how the word is functioning in the sentence. It's, it's a noun or, or what uh, part of speech it is. And so you've got good message. In, in New Testament, the word euangelion is used to refer to good news. You see that. Uh, we get some English words from this. We've talked about this before. Uh, like a lot of times when you're transliterating Greek to English, you take a U and you make it a V for whatever reason. And so evangel, evangelism, evangelist. Evangel is good news. Uh, evangelism is the act of sharing good news. And evangelist is one who brings good news. So that's where, that's where those words come from. So euangelion in the New Testament is a word that means good news. But it's a specific kind of news. If you were searching through the Bible and you read in the Old Testament about, about good news and you, and you saw it's associated with a king. It's always associated with who's on the throne. And you keep turning the pages and you turn to Malachi and you turn past that center page and you get to Matthew and you turn through chapters 1 looking for this word. I want to find the word gospel or good news or euangelion. Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Matthew 3, Matthew, here's you come to it. Matthew 4, verse 23, and here's how it's used. Jesus came preaching the euangelion of the kingdom. Well, that's consistent with what we already knew about Beser and Besorah, right? It's used to be good news about who's reigning. So you come to the New Testament the first time it's used by Matthew. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It lets us know that Matthew is continuing that usage of the Old Testament where good news is associated with who's reigning. That's, that's a very important thing. So who's reigning? Well, Jesus is going to talk about the gospel of the good news, He's, or the gospel of the kingdom, the good news about who's, who's reigning. Now, in the New Testament, it's not always used that way. Sometimes, I think it's always used that way, but not always with those words. Sometimes it's the gospel of God. Sometimes it's the gospel of Christ. Sometimes it's the gospel by itself. But when we understand how the word is used, we know that when we read the word euangelion, gospel, we know it has something to do with the reign of God. All right, this is, 
important stuff for us to understand this message. And so the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus brought. Now, back to Isaiah 52 for a second. I want you to notice uh, kind of a little bit, a couple other things from, uh, from our passage. The messenger comes. He's got pretty feet because he's bringing a good message, good news. It's about peace. It's about happiness. It's about salvation. The voice of the watchman, they lift up their voice. They sing for joy. They see the return of the Lord to Zion. You see that? See, there they are lying in a devastated city, resting. Uh, they're, they're anxious about their world, about their country, about their people, about their faith and all this. And the messenger comes. He says, I've got good news about peace, happiness, and salvation. And the good news is, the last part of verse 7, he says to Zion, your God reigns. See, their king had been Zedekiah. They had taken Zedekiah. Babylon had taken Zedekiah, punched out his eyes and killed him. And they don't have a king, or at least they think they don't have a king because their eyes had been kind of blinded and they thought that their king was, was uh, Jehoiakim or Zedekiah or whoever. They thought David and Solomon were their ultimate kings, whoever's on that throne in Jerusalem. And so the messenger comes and says, wait a second, you think you don't have a king because your, your city lies in ruins, but I'm here to tell you that your God reigns. That has not been affected by Nebuchadnezzar. He may have taken Zedekiah off the throne, but he didn't take God off of the throne. It goes on. So you should break forth together in singing. You waste places of Jerusalem. The Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Listen to this. The Lord has bared his holy arm. He has shown you his muscles before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So just looking at Isaiah 52, what you got there in the, in the middle of this is, all right, we're, we're in a bad situation, but God reigned. That's the message. And also... There's a look forward. Isaiah wants them to see. The prophet wants them to see. God reigns. And verse, uh, verse 8, the last part of it, the Lord is going to come back to Zion. Zion is a word that means Jerusalem. The Lord is going to come back to Zion. So from this time, well, there had been other prophecies about this, but certainly in Isaiah 52, he just confirms there's coming a day when God is going to come back to the city. He's going to come back to the city. He's going to come back. The Lord is coming to your city. So we move ahead in the text, and we go to you know Jeremiah and Lamentations, Ezekiel and Daniel, and all the way through, and we see hints of this coming up again and again. And then we come to Matthew, and we see there all these clues and then we hear John the Baptist, a messenger, a runner, coming and saying, you need to repent because the kingdom is close by. That's what John preached. He's the messenger of the good news. The king is close by. The Lord is close by. The Lord is about to come back to Zion. And then Jesus comes in Matthew 4, that text I read earlier, and he begins preaching that the gospel of the kingdom is here. The Lord has come back to Jerusalem. Now, let's talk about the kingdom for a minute. I'm going to make some application to our day and time, all right? 
they were confused about what kind of kingdom it would be. They were looking forward to, um, they were looking forward to a king who's going to do what David did for them. He's going to defeat all the enemies. He's going to run the Philistines out of town in their day. It would be wrong. He's going to come like Solomon. He's going to expand the borders of the kingdom. Everything's going to be good. He's going to rule with power and might and strength and violence. He's going to get those Romans out of our, out of our region and run them back to Rome where they belong. And we're going to have our autonomy and we're going to be strong. And nations are going to fear us because of our military. And oh, it's going to be so awesome when the Lord comes to Zion. And then Jesus does something weird them. Matthew 4.23, the gospel of the king, that's what he's preaching about. Matthew 5, he preaches the most famous sermon of all, and it's a sermon in which he teaches the principles of his kingdom. And you read the sermon, you listen to the sermon, and you see Jesus went to the top of the mountain, he sat down, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are, you remember the first one, the first beatitude? Blessed are, what's the kingdom like, Lord? Blessed are the poor in Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. What? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek. What? They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Wait a second. Where's the word, where's the word about power? Where's the message about an army, about violence, about strength, about control? Where's that message? See, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's, it's, it's where God took those kingdom values that they understood so well and that you and I understand so well, and he got to flip them upside down, and he said, that's not what the kingdom is about. Now, let's pause for a second and say a word to us, a word that I think everybody in here already knows, but, but if you're like me, you need to be reminded of it fairly often, especially when things don't seem to be going well around us. And we get nervous, and we get a little bit afraid, and we get a little bit angry sometimes. We worry. I'm not going to, it's not going to be political in the sense that, talking about political issues, but it is going to be just a word for us at this particular moment, just a reminder for us all. Maybe you don't need this, some of us do. There's a lot of angst right now. Like I said earlier, all the stuff going on in the world, and in the middle of an election season, no less, and in a time where things have become more polarized than they've maybe ever been here, I don't know, where there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of division in the world, there's a lot of suspicion. And it's easy for you and me, the church, to start going along with this narrative that suggests the future of the church and the message of the gospel hinges on elections. And the messenger comes running across the mountains and he says, what? Your God reigns. He reigns. And so your guy may not get elected. And, 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 and there may seem be some, from a human perspective, there may be angst about that. 
but not in an ultimate sense, not in a devastating sense. Jerusalem lay in ruins and they were discouraged and the messenger came and said, you think your king isn't there? Your king never left the throne. Your king never got deposed. He's still there and he's going to come back to Zion. And we read the Gospel of Matthew and we see it in Mark and Luke and John and we read it in Paul and James and Peter and the message is consistent all the way through. God reigns. And that's a message that you and I, of all people, we've got to believe it. You know? And again, I think everybody in here believes it, but it's just so easy for the world's narrative to, to become our own and for us to think that the success of the Christian mission, it, it hinges on staying in power. I challenge you to find me a time in the history of Christianity when the mission of Jesus Christ hinged on which emperor was reigning, which king was on the throne, which dictator, which political leader was at the helm. And what you'll find is that the mission of the church is most successful when they embody the upside-down kingdom, when it becomes for us not about power and strength and control and winning, but about humility and submission and service. Again, I'm not, I don't want to insult your intelligence by saying you don't already know that. Only, that. only that I feel myself needing the message, so I feel like maybe some of you do as well. God reigns. And, and, and we, of all people, you know, the church, if, 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 if this message is going to be proclaimed, who's going to do it? You're not going to find it on either side of the political aisle. You're not going to find it there. You're going to find it when God's people keep coming back again and again and again to the message that permeates Scripture from beginning to end. And it's not about David and Solomon and Zedekiah. And it's not about Emperor Nero. It's not about Augustus and Tiberius. And it's not about any political leader at all. God's going to reign. Going to reign. To the extent that you and I believe that with all of our hearts, we will embody the values of our king. Those values are blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They repent of their sins. They, they, they approach life and other people with humility and kindness and meekness. They are people who sometimes because of their values are persecuted because they embody the upside down kingdom and therefore the world that's, that's organized around the principles of might and power and control and violence and war don't like that counter narrative that the church has always presented to the world. And so there will be persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the bookends of the eight Beatitudes are blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, those who realize that they of themselves are nothing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The last bookend is blessed are those who are persecuted. When you embody the values of the kingdom, it leads to the, conf to the opposition of the world. But instead of fearing that, we who are Christians recognize that sometimes, in fact, I, 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 would, I would go so far as to say, usually in the history of Christianity, God does His most amazing work when this counter-narrative 
that is preached and lived by the church of Jesus Christ comes against that narrative of the world of power and control. And God does amazing things. You know? And He's doing it in the world now. So the gospel, you know, the, the, God, the, good, news, the good news of the kingdom... Right now, you know, 2020, at this particular moment, I think it's a message, we always need to hear it, but, but sometimes we need to, maybe because of things that are going on, we need to hear it more than other times. And maybe this is one of those times where we need to remember we are an upside-down kingdom. And whenever our values match up with those of the world, something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. I chose this particular image because that is ultimately what he's talking about. What's beautiful about those feet? You see, those feet, in a graphic kind of way, help us to remember that beautiful feet are those that live out that basic core principle of the kingdom. Where Jesus, just a few hours before that happened, He washed the feet of the apostles, right? Thursday night. He washed their feet. And they tried to stop Him. Peter tried to stop Him. And, and the Lord said, you don't understand right now, but you're going to understand this. You're going to understand this before long. And what I want you to do is I want you to wash feet. I wonder if there's a connection between his washing the feet and the nail in his feet. And the feet of that, the beautiful feet of that messenger who's bringing the gospel. And Paul in Romans 10, 15, he says, that's, that's where the quotation comes from. Romans 10, 15, he quotes Isaiah 52. And, and Paul says, how beautiful are the, are the feet of him who brings the gospel. And so there are all these connections here. And the beautiful feet are those of our Lord who comes and on the cross... It's not just a sermon. He preached and said, you need to be humble. You need to serve. You need to be self-sacrificial. And you need to give yourself for the good of others. And you need to be a part of the upside-down kingdom. It's not a message only. Not only a message that he preached, but it is what he showed them when they put that stake through his feet and through his hands and put that crown of thorns on his head. Remember what the gospel is about in the Old Testament and the New Testament? It's about a king, right? They didn't know what they were doing. They mocked him and they put that crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him and they put that purple robe around his shoulders. And they bowed down before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they lifted him up and exalted him to the throne. But the throne was a cross. At that moment, you know, at that moment, they didn't know what they were doing. They were mocking him and exalting him as king. But they didn't know that it was that supreme act of self-sacrifice where he was showing the world what it means to be part of the kingdom. It is self-sacrificial kindness, love, and humility that changes the world. And that's what the church has got to remember. 
It's got to remember our influence in the world is going to be tied to the way we live in the world and the way we act toward one another and the way that we treat people outside of the church, especially the way we treat people with whom we share some basic fundamental disagreements about what ultimately matters. But we do what he did. How beautiful are those feet? And to take it a step further, in Romans 10, Paul's talking about your feet and my feet. Those feet are beautiful to the extent that they take this message and they live this message. And people look at us and they don't see us, but they see the king who we, whom we represent and they understand Man, there is something upside down, but something beautiful about this kingdom of which these people are a part. How beautiful are those, are those feet? If you're not a Christian this morning, what Jesus is asking you to do is to turn your back on the values of this kingdom, of this world. To understand that, and, and all we got to do is read a little history, you know, of our own history, of our own country's history and power and struggle and strength and control it doesn't produce things that are good but that counter narrative one that says let's embody the ethic of Jesus let's do that and the good that it's done and is doing you know when God's people do that so what he's, what he's calling you to do if you're not a Christian is to turn your back on the values of the world and to embrace that kingdom mentality to, to, to say to him I want you to be my king and my lord and my savior and you demonstrate that publicly in baptism where his blood washes your sins away and he commissions you to, to have those beautiful feet where you go and you live out and you speak the words that are associated with that kingdom that's what he invites you to give today and to come to him and to confess today. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to come back and you just simply need, uh, as, a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you come back and you say, I, I, I want prayers and I need help because my life hasn't reflected this very much lately. We're here for you. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.